When I chose that intro for the radio show about over a year ago, we've been doing this about a year. Paul, yeah, it's now. been about a, it's right. a year anniversary. It was about the unexpected hope and potential that technology has in our lives. And there's a sense of mystery and probably a little bit of sense of threat to that, but also of all the amazing things that lie ahead of us when it comes to harnessing technology. Lately, it really feels like technology is a lot more about fear. Because boy, we have some news today. We have news every day. This time around, it's really terrifying that The New York Times has been hacked for months. Yes, by longer the than they realized. Longer than they realized, nobody knew, by the Chinese government. After they ran news articles about uh, people who were considered dissidents by the Chinese government. And, uh, Paul, you've been doing a bit of reading about the story. What have you found out? Well, yeah, they were informed by AT&T of some suspicious activity on the network. Uh, back in October 25th, but it actually uh, turns out it's been going on since September, That's over a month earlier. A lag time, for sure, for discovering your security breaches, and then some. Not to mention the fact that AT&T only checked because the Chinese government had actually warned the New York Times yes. that they were going to come under attack, or that th- I should no, not no, say there that. would be consequences. consequences. Yes, Paul, there are going to be consequences <laughs> if you don't give me that last truffle. <laughs> I'm not going to say what they are, but I do have your computer I'm in my scared. office. I'm scared. I am scared. And the New York Times said, well, we're journalists. Too bad, so sad. We're running this story. Yeah, about the Wen family. Uh, yeah, and I, I don't know much about the story itself. Mm-hmm. Apparently the Chinese care. Right. And, uh, they they care did plenty. not want anything public made about that. And there were consequences. They hacked the network of the New York Times. Nobody knows how exactly. The speculation is that they did it through a phishing attack. And that they co- they tricked people, uh, various journalists, particularly journalists who were on the story, into clicking on a link in an email they were sent, and accidentally running a program that compromised their system. Right. They they were specifically targeting emails from uh, the Times Shanghai bureau chief David Bez Barboza. Excuse Ooh, that's me. That's a great name. Yeah, really, Barboza, and also the South Asia bureau chief Jim Yardley. So targeted attacks, were, were, you'll notice we'll see that pattern a lot. We were talking earlier about the Red October mm-hmm. uh, malware network that was gathering information from various specific countries. And that they, too, the, the attacks that they made were against specific individuals. And all of these attacks have a similar pattern in that they're not sending out viruses that are compromising computers. Mm-hmm. They're tricking people into compromising their Com- system com- for you. Compromising their own computers. Yeah, it's the classic question of, well, it doesn't matter how secure your system is if you leave the door open or open it and invite somebody in. Yeah. And that's what's happening is their t- social engineering is a term for it, very popular term, for good reason. It's the number one way today that systems are compromised, both personal systems, enterprise systems, whatever the case is. And what's amazing here is it worked. They had complete access to the New York Times network, the entire network, for months. Yeah, remote access. And they yeah. say they could have wrecked all kind of havoc, and they didn't. 
They were after something else. They stole all the usernames and passwords of all the employees for the New York Times. And no one really knows exactly what it is they wanted, but they were engaged in long-term espionage. Yeah. That much is obvious. Whether or not they'll actually be able to do anything with those username and passwords remains to be seen because they were all hashed. They're all encrypted. So that's a classic example of is your password strong enough because they are undoubtedly going to try and crack the encryption on that those passwords are stored in, and if they do, then they've got you know passwords that are undoubtedly used almost everywhere else. I wonder, you know, d- not too distant future, there may be, um, you know, headlines in the New York Times that confuse L's and R's. <laughs> oh no, that is going to. That, if anything were to generate phone calls, <laughs> jokes like that are going to bring in. Is that, is that a phone call right now? No, it's an incoming mob. <laughs> The New York Times says Paul Morley is going down for bad jokes. Uh, well, they that, may be writing copy for the New York Times. We don't true. know. We don't actually know. Maybe the article about them being compromised was written by the Chinese government as a way of making us think that they're no longer compromised. Who knows? Right. <laughs> the, the long and short of it is, is they had to call in an outside firm to clean up their system. Couldn't do themselves. Not surprising. Something like that is is pretty difficult. So we don't really know what they were after exactly. We don't really know what they accomplished while they were there. But the fact that they compromised the system of a really large media agency in the, in the United States for so long without anybody knowing indicates, again, we've talked about this many times, the level of activity that is going on in the Internet between countries, the geopolitical warfare that's going on. Via computers. It really makes me worried, you know. It just seems like nothing is private anymore. Well, nothing is, in a sense, because we haven't, in all honesty, taken computer security very seriously. Mm-hmm. And that ties into we the next story. We do. And we've trusted it from the beginning. We got a computer. Why wouldn't we? It was a box, the equivalent of a microwave that sat under your desk. The thought of it connecting to another box was a pipe dream. It was mm-hmm. a wish. It was a utopia that all these boxes would be connected. Right, right. Now we live in this utopia, and as so often the case, we're not really sure how to handle the consequences. Mm-hmm. And that leads in perfectly to the next thing we're going to talk about, which is that it, the Homeland Security Department recently warned that there are a large number of, and we've talked about this before briefly, but they've, they've specifically identified a large number of industrial processes, industrial computers that govern power, wastewater systems, the infrastructure of our country that are either completely open to attack or even have been attacked and nothing was done, but they were compromised and open and invaded. It's crazy. I mean, <clears throat> power generation. Compromised. Yeah, I mean, they, and so the Homeland Security Department is taking this seriously or is trying to and is alerting various companies that they need to take this seriously as well and do something about it because these, these systems come with the ability to be connected to a network so they can be managed. That makes sense. And they also come with default usernames and passwords. Mm. And then people who manage these things aren't changing those default usernames and passwords to something else. They just leave it at admin, admin, or whatever it comes with. Right, right. And then anyone who knows that down the road, and I have to say, I've certainly done that. I've been on a friend's network or I've been at a client's network and said, been told, oh, I have this problem with the router. I don't know what to do. Or I have this problem with the internet. And I've tried to connect to the router and 95% of the time, I can just connect using the default username and password that's been set for that device. Hmm. 
And, wow. you know, Linksys routers. They never them. changed it. They never changed it. And why would they? They didn't even think about it. Hmm. And to some degree, I'm grateful for that because when they do change it, they never remember. So it makes my job <laughs> three times harder to figure out what they set it to than if it's the default password. It's a relief. I can just log in and do my business. <laughs> but that's no different at home than it is at work, as is so often the case. Mm-hmm. And so we have critical systems that are we're being warned that they are completely wide open. Wow. And that's why I guess I say, all right, you say there's no privacy. There's yeah. not, but it's somewhat of our own creation. We are not taking the interconnectivity that we have very seriously. Well, I, I guess, you know, we each have our own part in doing that. You know, we've talked about, you know, updating your software mm-hmm. and changing your passwords. We ha- had uh, David Chartier last week talking about, um, you know, organizations that will do some of that for you mm-hmm. that in you know that will create uh you know passwords that you would never be able to remember but it keeps track of that for you great yeah and he used a great example that i really really like because it drives the point home was that in our lives our physical lives as as people on the internet would say our meat space lives we would use a different key for every lock. Mm-hmm. You would not think of yeah. using the same key for your house or for your car and for your safety deposit. Mm-hmm. You just wouldn't think of using all the same key because someone steals that key. Yeah, somebody over. finds that key, they can access everything you own. And lo and behold, we feel offended. I mean, truly, people feel offended and shocked like something has been violated when their password is mm-hmm. stolen and then the same thing happens because they've used one password mm-hmm. For everything. And, right. and of course, we should be offended and shocked in the sense that no one should be stealing your passwords. But then what would we say to someone who said, man, I had one key for everything, and then someone opened it all and took everything? Yeah. So that's us in our personal lives. I've been guilty of it. You've been guilty of it. I bet everyone we've – every single human being we can talk to has been guilty of using insecure, similar passwords everywhere. And that is part of the problem is we take those attitudes to work. Or people who run systems at work say, eh, what are the chances it's easier to just use the same password? And then 10 years down the road, we have this institutionalized cultural habit of not taking our computer security seriously or recognizing it's our responsibility. And boom, power generation system shuts down. New York Times is compromised. Oh, my gosh, monkeys are invading. It's all over. Well, see, I, I think that that raises another level of. By it. the way, I should really note I was not saying Chinese people are monkeys. That was not. <laughs> I do not want to be sued, and that was not the joke I was trying to make. I was trying to be absurd. That is just. I really need to note that. Okay, okay. moving on. Thank you yes. for the disclaimer. Thank you. No, but it, that raises a whole other level of it. I mean, like I was saying, there's our personal responsibility to take care of what we can take care of. Mm-hmm. But then you've got systems like. The New York Times, they're not using, you know, NW Times as their password. <laughs> probably I hope. not. Yeah, well. You know, uh, I really doubt that. So it sure. takes a much higher degree of sophistication, you know, uh, putting in, you know, malware, getting that inserted into the system so that they can remotely access the, the whole network. That's so, you know, we, it, what it brings to mind in my fear of fears is, you know, bank accounts and, mm-hmm. you know, mutual funds and all that stuff where you, you keep your, your finances and 
other kinds of, of really important um, files, mm-hmm. that that can be compromised. Well, I can tell you – well, two things actually come to mind there because – Don't tell me not to worry. Nope, nope, wasn't going to say that. I was going to say banks, at least in my experience, and I'm sure there are people who could speak to this much better – but in general, from what I've seen, they do take their security very seriously. Oh, sure. Yeah. And they certainly... So does the New York Times. Yeah, that's true. That's a very good point. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I will say on the flip side, there are industries that you would hope are governed by federal law as to what the security is that they should follow, just as we have laws and regulations that say, here are the safety practices we should have when it comes to your food, right? Don't put cow poop in your cow meat, for example. Mm-hmm. That's bad. Don't do it. Similarly, but that's also happened. Well, exactly. And then on the flip side, and I have, we have, we do have rules and regulations that say all communication about patients between medical agencies or medical professionals needs to be encrypted. Mm-hmm. And I would hope, and I have no idea, actually, we should probably look into it and find out that there are l- rules and regulations like that that apply to basic systems like power generation, like water plant, water plants, I should say, uh, sewers, sewage systems, mm-hmm. basic infrastructure. On the flip side, even if they do, I've worked with plenty of medical professionals who thought that it all it took for them to be, quote unquote, encrypted was to have the email communication from themselves to their email server encrypted. Hmm. And they didn't worry about what happened when the email left their email server and went to somebody else. Hmm. They didn't worry about their password security. They didn't check their network security. There was It was a basic thing. They were mm-hmm. checking a checkbox on a list and not yeah. thinking about it critically. One, one kind of link in the chain was secure, but exactly. not, not the others. And I'll note it's that kind of thing while we're in the... You know, the mode of fear promote, and panic. Right, fear and panic. We mentioned this very briefly last week, but several several federal websites were hacked by uh, the ever-present hacking group Anonymous. Oh, yeah. Which we, we've heard about. Uh, Anonymous has actually suffered lately at the hands of the federal government. Several of their key members have been arrested, and uh, despite the fact that they've long claimed to not have any leaders, which I'm sure is largely true, it's also been a demonstration that if you're a teenage kid and you're stupid and you think you can thumb the nose at giant government entities, you're probably wrong, and that's probably not going to end up too well. So people have gone to jail, but they're obviously still around. Because they took down several government websites and left a message that said essentially they're going to war against... We'll be back. We'll be back. And why did they do this, Paul? Well, they're really upset that Aaron Schwartz killed himself, and they're really holding the federal government responsible. 26-year-old man, brilliant, um, released and published more than 4 million academic papers on the Internet. Uh, (coughs) through his own, you know, knowledge and cleverness um, and because he had a strong ethical principle that this this information should be shared and that people shouldn't have to pay to download these documents per page. And he was threatened with 31 years in prison, mm-hmm. uh, up to a million dollars in fines, and he... He exhausted his expenses. He had been a wealthy man and I think really gave up all hope and um, did a terrible thing that, you know, is completely needless. And I think it's because of 
uh, and I would agree uh, with people that uh, I'm, I don't fault the, the federal government to the degree that they do, perhaps, but I think that it was too heavy-handed. The the prosecution of this young man was just too much. I think it is difficult to argue otherwise, considering the fact that there are people who commit what are almost unarguably far more grievous crimes, mm -hmm. uh, manslaughter, even homicide, for which the statutory penalties are less, mm -hmm. and who do not get prosecuted to the full extent of the law like he was. He's obviously being made an example of. This is often the case with yeah. digital crimes where I think law enforcement officials feel that this is going on too much. We're going to scare the rest of them. Mm -hmm. We have a case against so-and-so. We're just going to go after it as aggressively as possible. You've seen that with the RIAA going after people of pirated music, you know, 12-year-old girl, yeah, yeah. girls being sued for thousands and thousands of dollars. Yeah. Just ridiculous things without realizing these people do not have perhaps the legal, anywhere near the resources to pay the legal fees right. to fight and say, well, you know, I, I shouldn't be prosecuted to the full extent of law. Perhaps what I did was wrong. Perhaps what I did did break the law, but it's not anywhere near on the same level as murder. Right. So, but it, apparently, though, the, the chief prosecutor doesn't really feel any remorse in this particular case. Carmen Ortiz? Yes. Yeah. She released, attorney. she released a statement that essentially said they were doing what they should do and that it's cool and we should all chill out. I'm mm -hmm. paraphrasing a little bit. So I don't, as, oft, as is often the case, Anonymous, I, I understand their motivations, but I doubt they're going to accomplish very much with what they did. And I'm sure, truthfully, that the sites they did take down, they took down for reasons that we were just talking about, basic security mistakes on the part of the people who maintain those websites. Very well, rarely do these things happen because someone was really on top of it. Well, I think part of the un unfortunate case is that, you know, in its you know zeal to just set an example, uh, they have probably accomplished the opposite. They've made enemies, and they've... Um, Fanned fear and panic. Yeah, exactly, and and kind of gotten people to not trust them anymore. <coughs> well, I, I would add a note to that. I don't know if they were ever trusted. Maybe so. But, but yes, I see what you're saying. Moving on to probably, finally, more positive or more interesting tech news, so we don't just turn... We're moving out of fear and panic. Moving out of fear and gentlemen. panic. We hope that's been good for you. I hope that you've already gone to all of your websites and chosen change password feverishly or just closed all your accounts and moved into a cabin in the woods, whatever the case is. Uh, we've talked before many times about how Apple treats its workers overseas. Mm -hmm. how our devices are assembled by people in gigantic warehouses who work incredibly long hours, just putting the same thing together over and over and over and over. There's been a lot of criticism that Apple has weathered because of that. Mm -hmm. And Apple at the time said they were taking this very seriously and they were going to address issues in their supply chain. And it looks like they have. They're just mm -hmm. A report just came out addressing underage workers uh, in Apple's Chinese suppliers. And what do they find? The, the rates have gone down substantially um, with one outlier. Um, cases at one supplier, a circuit board manufacturer, went from six active cases of underage labor to 74 in one year. Ooh, that's, that's the wrong metric. Yeah. I think, I, I think they misunderstood what the goal was. <laughs> Oh, we're not supposed to increase our 
our underage workers. We thought everyone wanted to work. The younger, the better. They're so excited. So they were in, informed that no, that was wrong, and they were found to be, you know, willfully conspiring with families to forge verification of age documents and this kind of thing. Right. Which it's worth noting, and we've mentioned this before too, the situation is somewhat tricky in the sense that for many families that are in the poverty level, sending their children to work a job, even if it's a job yeah. that most would see as unsuitable for a child or perhaps even unsuitable for anyone, mm-hmm. is a, an option that provides them a livelihood. Yep. So to some degree it's complex. I mean, I don't think that we should be promoting underage child labor right. in other countries. That being said, the issue, as always, is complex. But Apple had had a good reaction. Yeah, they did. But before we, oh. we get that reaction, I just want to mention the name of the company, not not just to you know bring it out in the open, but because I love the name of the company, the Guangdong Real Faith. Pengzhu Electronics Company. Real faith, real electronics. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. really what you want. That's <laughs> kind of like the security group that we're talking about. What did, what did that mention? The, the well, ah, I can't even remember. The, the guys who actually reported on the uh, industrial systems, oh, the, yeah. the, the group that tracks how compromised industrial systems are. The security researchers, they, called, they call themselves <laughs> ICS SCADA Security. ICS SCADA, by the way, refers to industrial systems. Okay. ICS SCADA Security to save humanity from industrial disaster and to keep purity of essence. <laughs> and that last sentence, I really, I mean, it's awesome. What's essence? What's real faith <laughs> electronics? T- that's great marketing, yeah. basically. Okay. Moving on. So, yeah, so they, they it's really good. Apple's taken some really um, important steps. They've, you know, not only terminated the relationship with the company, but they've they've actually required them to pay expenses for the return of these kids to their families. But even gets better. They they uh, they are they're sent back at the company's expense to the family, but they also. Um, they get the families get to select the school they want their kid to go to, and then finance the education. Wow, that's kind of remarkable. It really is. I mean, hmm, it kind of makes me want to be caught being forced to work somewhere. It makes you wonder if maybe they uh, were planning that all along. What this mm. is just a publicity ploy? You hire 74 or 5-year-olds hmm. and we'll pay for their... You know, I, I would say, and I don't know what the statistics are, but that is above and beyond what most any company has yeah, done. I and it agree. does seem like Apple is taking their responsibility very, very seriously. Well, they've really been under fire you know, in the past few years. Well, they have, but a lot of places that come under fire, and I'm not going to name names, but you know, BP, Exxon, uh, <laughs> they they just spend a lot of money on advertising and keep doing the same thing. Right. So what change is there? Here we actually uh, are seeing change, and mm-hmm. that's heartening. I hope others take suit. I hope that Apple really is serious, but they certainly seem to be and continue down the same path. Well, yeah, Apple, you know, really forced the companies to improve their, their uh, records on, you know, underage um, workers and safety and repetitive motion and a lot of other oh, things. I hadn't even heard that. And and those those are documentable. But then they've also, you know, raised the bar by knocking down this company that tried to get around and it. actually reporting them yep. and ha- th- having there be penalties. That's good. That again, see, there is there is good news in 
<laughs> it's not all fear and panic. It's not all fear and panic, no. Although I'm going to make a quick note about that and say that a lot of people, when they buy their phone, they need to buy a phone that is a part of a carrier contract. Hmm. And we're going to hit the note to fear and panic here in a second. Oh, good. So because if you buy a phone that Can doesn't... Can I play the theme again? Well, n- perhaps. Hmm. Really? Wait, no, 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 not not quite yet. Well, <laughs> well wait, good thing oh, you don't know on. how to wake up your iPad, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> we're a technology show. <laughs> 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 but I just encourage you to do that. You can buy it and unplug. Why must you be screaming loud? Because they love it. Okay. You can buy an unlocked phone that doesn't have a carrier contract. And traditionally, that's cost a lot more. You've been able to, lately, a new service has come out that actually allows you to buy a phone with a carrier contract. And then when you want to, you can pay about 90 bucks. Yeah. And they unlock your phone remotely. Oh, yeah, yeah. Permanently. And it really works. Right. Except that as of last Saturday, that's now illegal. illegal. Yep. So, snap. We hope you didn't <laughs> plan to do that and buy any phones because no more unlocking avenue for you. We are going to be right back with some excellent tips on what to do when your Mac malfunctions, uh, an app of the week, some more news and tips and tricks. So stay tuned, and we will be right back. See ya. KVRF Sutton, Radio Free Palmer, 89.5 on your FM dial, Big Cabbage Radio. And we are back on Facebook, facebook.com. Sorry, we're Jim. back. Oh, man, I was just all excited and chipper and just like Eeyore Morley <laughs> comes in. Well, if we're going to be all sad, we can talk about Facebook being sued by everybody. Isn't that the <laughs> yeah. term of a class, class action suit? Everybody's <laughs> suing Facebook. We don't like you anymore. We're no, okay, I can't even make a friend joke because that's a little bit overdone. But Facebook, uh, you may have noticed, was using your picture, or the picture of various people, in its ads. And it would say, so-and-so, for example, Paul Morley, really likes this product. Or, or Paul Except Morley. I've never pushed the cl- the like button, but I if I had. I, yes, if you had ever pushed the like button. Because I don't like anything. It would create ads from your likeness and Put advertise to your friends. Yeah. And some people didn't really like their face being used in ads. I think that's relatively understandable. So they sued. And the lawsuit has been ongoing back and forth for quite a while. It got thrown out. It got thrown in. People were talking about what was going to happen. And they're finally reaching a settlement. And we are all going to be recompensed for our trouble and for our likenesses being used. So they put aside uh, a $20 million settlement fund. It's a lot of millions of dollars. How much are we getting, Paul? Well, there's a billion (laughs) Facebook users. Mm. So the number comes down substantially, you know. And there's also lawyer fees, twenty million out of the twenty million, et cetera. <laughs> you know, twenty-five million of the twenty million <laughs> are lawyer fees. So in fact, we all have to pay—not Facebook, but the class action lawyers. Well, right. You know, if the fund has 
you know, if, I think they're saying there'll be 12 million left after the the lawyers have their way. Plus, they really they get like over half. 7.5 mil. Nice. Yeah. So that leaves 12 something, That would make right? for a pretty good gold-plated bathtub in my jet. Yeah, right. So if, if 1.2 million have claims out of 12, that's 10 bucks each. But if 12 million make claims, everybody gets a buck. Wow, that's some that's some great. Haul. And there's a billion users. I, to, to note, also though, otherwise, I believe that also some money is going to various charity groups well, to that, fund privacy efforts. Yes, they see that's the alternate plan ah. is that that money not be paid out to individuals, but that it actually goes to do exactly what you did did say to, to fund internet privacy advocacy groups. Because in all honesty, if I got a $10 check, I'd probably go to the downstairs coffee shop and spend it on coffee. Or a $1 check. Or a $1 check. I would spend it on a, a song on iTunes, I guess. I've got a friend. This is a total aside, but it's relevant. He actually... <laughs> this uh, is totally irrelevant, <laughs> but it's relevant. <laughs> but tune in. Now, I grew up in New York, and our telephone calls on the payphones used to be ten cents. And he, he lost a dime in a phone booth, so he called the phone company, and they refunded his dime in a check. Wow! They I, sent him a check for ten cents, and he's got that framed on it. <laughs> well, <laughs> worth it. We should do a segment sometime. If I get a check from a, for a dollar from Facebook, I'm framing that sucker. That's probably not a bad idea. I would probably still spend it. It'll probably be worth money someday. I mean, real when money. When you're dead. I mean, for your grandchildren, Somebody. Maybe. Yeah. That's, you that's, know, more than $10 or $1. Hopefully. That's true. It could be it a It might problem. be worth ten, $11. Twelve. We're going to say. Even. 12.1. Well, Facebook can probably pay that out okay because they actually just posted profits, record profits, which is uh, news because, you know, they went public with their stock last year which everyone wanted to know really how they were going to make money because Facebook doesn't have a clear system set up about how they're going to make money off of their business. And one of the things they've been struggling with is making money off of all the mobile users, iPhones, Android, so on and so forth, because their ads aren't very prominent there. Hmm. But they've been working on it, and this is just an aside. And I guess the, just because of the screen size and the, the screen thing. size and how the app works, and no one really wants to use it if there's just a ton of ads, mm-hmm. and they might not click through anyway because people use their phones differently than their computers. Mm-hmm. That's at least been some of the hurdles that have been thrown up. Uh, that being said, it's, their mobile advertising is up 41%, $1.33 billion from a year ago, and it's a total of 23% of the revenue, which is huge. Hmm. And I just have to throw these numbers out there because it's pretty c- crazy. They said as of late December, 680 million users were actively using a social app on smartphones every month. That's also up 57%. So the usage is growing. Mm -hmm. There's more Mm -hmm. and more people on Facebook. So presumably there will be more class action lawsuits and perhaps you'll get paid more. Actually, that's another good aside. There is a website. People have been sent an email about this class action Mm -hmm. website. Class action lawsuit. I've seen one of these, yeah. And it looks an awful like spam. Mm -hmm. Generally, these emails about class action lawsuits look very sketchy. And and perhaps they are. It could be a, a scam attack disguised as something that re- references something legitimate. So if you get one, it might be alerting you to the fact that you're eligible. But you should probably go to your web browser separate from the email, search about the lawsuit, and visit the website that way. Mm-hmm. 
And it is legit. Should you have received an email and should you skirt around and visit the site that way, it is a legitimate thing. So so Mm -hmm. you're aware. Yeah, and tells you, you know, what what's the time frame of the action and what do you have to do and and it straight out tells you, you know, you you might get 10 bucks. Exactly. Well, moving on from news, we'd like to get to the products and tips section of this fascinating show, and we are going to talk about our new product of the week. Okay. It's a big deal. It's the Hutzler 571 banana slicer. Yes, this is available awesome. on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It really gets it's great. It's got four-star rating. You're going to really love this faster, safer than using a knife. And it's Sense. only 273. Pretty cheap, free, super saver shipping. Great for cereal, plastic, dishwasher safe. Slice your banana with one quick motion as opposed to, you know, six, seven motions. Yep. Yeah, it, it strain on your wrist right there. Kids love slicing their own bananas. Yep. And there's some really good testimonials. Paul, what, what do people have to say? Oh, it's just amazing. Like, five stars. No more winning for you, Mr. Banana. <laughs> for decades, I've been trying to come up with an ideal way to slice a banana. Use a knife, they say. Well... My parole officer won't allow me to be around knives. Shoot it with a gun. Background check. Hello. I had to resort to carefully attempting to slice the bananas with my bare hands. 99.9% of the time, I'd get so frustrated that I just ended up squishing the fruit in my hands and throwing it against the wall in anger. Then, after a fit of banana-induced rage, my parole officer introduced me to this kitchen marvel, and my life was changed, no longer consumed by seething anger and animosity towards thick-skinned yellow fruit. I was able to concentrate on my love of theater, and I'm now writing a musical play about two lovers from rival gangs that just try to make it in the world. I think I'll call it South Side Story. That's just one. It is. That's just an example of the miracles you can find on the Internet that will make your life so much better. The Hutzler 571 Banana Slicer. They're not all favorable, though. They're not? No, they're not. They really aren't. Well, I can't imagine how. This is a perfect example of how technology could change our lives. I know. Well, here's here's one where it's only one star. I recently yeah, purchased harsh. a 571, but the product would not turn on. <laughs> that's not, a problem. It's not Arguably. electric. Mm. <laughs> After several weeks of arguing with the manufacturer <laughs> that claimed I was using the slicer improperly and that I avoided the warranty and would have to use it in manual mode. <laughs> I finally broke down and ordered the Fox Run Craftsman Banana Slicer. This is a far superior product. When you switch the slicer into slice mode, it begins to move my hands off the counter, targets my bananas, (laughs) and slices them precisely the way I want. The only trouble is that it's difficult to turn it off and may result in slicing many bananas I've, I made this mistake of turning it on at my local grocery store. Big mistake. I sliced <laughs> over 562 bananas in under 16 minutes. So buyer beware. The 571 way have the Hutzler name, but the, the speed and precision do not match up to its abilities of the Fox Run version of this product. Wow. Good to know, everybody. Thank goodness for Amazon and 
that is why we're here, to give you this hard-hitting reporting on what technology can do for you. Actually, on a completely different note, have you ever heard of Airbnb? No. So Airbnb is uh, my app of the week, Hmm. and I just discovered it recently. There have been a lot of apps geared towards travel. We've probably all heard of, I don't know, Expedia or uh, Travelocity or any number of places that Priceline.com, that let you search for places Mm -hmm. to stay and uh, say they'll give you Airbnb? Is this like for skydivers or something? Well, I'm not really sure where the name comes from myself. That's, yeah. Airbnb is a service online, a website, and it is also a, uh, an app for your iPhone or your iPad. You have to sign up with an account before you can use it, but it's free. They give you the option of signing with your Facebook account. Please don't. Just use a different account. Choose a secure password. I'm just going to say this about everything now that you're supposed to do. Choose a secure password. And then you can simply go ahead and, as an example, you can say, I would like to search. And I would search, let's say, I really want to go to Hanalei, which is a town in Kauai, Hawaii. Hmm. And it can be really hard to find housing there. And perhaps I would like to filter it and say, I'm only looking for uh, two guests. And as soon as you hit done, it's going to go do a search for you. And this is going to work all over the world. It will work. I've tried Spain, France, China, uh, Shanghai in China, obviously, but all sorts of various places. And it just off the bat gives you a list of places that various people have available for rent. Hmm. It gives you the price, which is generally really remarkably low for the area. I mean, we're talking on the order of 50 bucks a night in France. I saw some place for $30 a night in Shanghai. Uh, Hawaii is obviously a bit more expensive, mm-hmm. between $89, $75 a night. Hmm. But they provide you photos of the place. These are all private individuals. These hmm. are generally not uh, an established business. And they are using the service, Airbnb is the service that they use to actually put their properties up online. And the, they get rated by people who stay there. And so you can check out and you can see how many people have stayed there, what they say, what, what they think. And uh, apparently Mike Molesky has used this and actually has really, really likes it. And actually, if you put your property up, Mike, No. No, have you, have you are you on there? Yeah. Well, obviously, what are you charging? You're waving your hands. No, no. You can't just stay silent. <laughs> I, I, how, how much does it cost to stay uh, Shea Molesky? Uh, no, uh, I've been invited though, so I'll I'll, I'll throw in here. Mm-hmm. It just happens that uh, we, my wife and I, were recently on Kauai. Mm-hmm. Uh, and stayed in Honolulu. You even called in on a radio show. I thought you stayed in Honolulu. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. And uh, visited in Hanapepe, just mm-hmm. down the road and all the rest. And we started out by finding a place using this. This is a testimonial. Uh, you guys are really good <coughs> because I, I used Airbnb, and um, I was attracted in particular because they had this gorgeous place listed. Um, as one of the examples. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things. Like, you look at the photos. These are not hovels that are listed. People no, provide the photos no. and the amenities, and it's amazing what's available. Right. And through the magic of, of course, Google and all those other the, uh, apps out there, we were able to look at the house <laughs> and... Skirt it around. And look around with the 3D, looked and, and said, and said, well, yeah, that it, it's there. It actually exists. It's mm-hmm. that way. And I can tell you, at least in this case, and, and the, the big thing about uh, Airbnb is the guarantees hmm. and the ability to have them negotiate and do all the stuff, et cetera. So what you have is a kind of a, 
uh, a middle person, a middle group out there uh, that makes this uh, makes this work. We were satisfied. I mean, I can tell you that it, that the system worked hmm. at least one time. Right. Well, and <coughs> excuse me. What I really liked about it also was the fact that it's not just the people providing the amenities that are rated by users, but the people who stay there are rated too. That's why you have to have an account when you join. Mm -hmm. You as a person who uses service get rated as a a guest Mm -hmm. who uses these lodgings. And so people who get rated poorly, uh, they can be denied. You're not going to get to stay someplace. Or if you're rated really highly, you establish a relationship Hmm. on Airbnb, and people know, hey, I can trust them to come to my house. Because my understanding is a lot of people use the service to rent out their house or their apartment, even say they're not going to be there or they're just not there for several months. Mm -hmm. And this provides them with a safe way to quickly and cheaply put their place up for rent. Hmm. So Airbnb is definitely my app of the week because I've done a fair bit of looking and all of a sudden I want to travel to many more places at, at an incredibly affordable rate. Great cheap. Definitely check yeah. it out. Good tip. Mike has one more. Just just a question, though, uh-huh. about it. Uh, and, and this has to do with uh, skirting around the local uh, taxation and laws, et cetera, that deal with rental. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit uh, similar to uh, couch surfing, only this is a is a little bit uh, more more advanced, more advanced. right? And uh, and the whole question of uh, when do you run afoul of uh, the attempts of a, a local city or town that has set up all kinds of rules about rentals, mm-hmm. about collecting money, about da 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 so, Collecting tax. Yeah, all, my, my sense was, I picked up a little hint of that around a lot of these, what might almost be cloud, crowdsourcing sure. efforts here so that, that uh, are very difficult to keep into a bottle that uh, people use to provide bed tax and, and the rest of that stuff. So just a a thought about that. Yeah, that that is really interesting, and that would apply if you want to put your place up for rent. I mean, certainly, uh, I think from the perspective of someone who's looking for lodging, again, the upside to a service like this is you can presume that they've got it all figured out. You've got a service that has a guarantee. You've got people who it's their problem to deal with. If you're putting up for the market, I have no idea. I've never done that. I've always been terrified of doing that because it seems like keeping people happy is a pretty rough task. Yeah. So I wouldn't want to do it year-round. That would be a really great question. Maybe a portion of the year. Indeed. Although, and and that's well worth noting that services like this do run afoul of the law. A little while ago, we talked about Lyft, a service that allows people to connect with other people who have a car and who are willing to give them a lift. Networking cars. Yeah, social media for uh, rides. It's like hitchhiking using your iPhone. Except that these people, some of them would actually get paid to do it, Mm -hmm. a nominal fee, whether it's for gas or whatever. And so in theory, you could make some cash connecting with other people who also would get rated as passengers. A big Mm -hmm. part of all these services is, we're going to rate the service, but we're also going to rate the people who use the service yep. so we can weed out the wackos or the really annoying people. Yeah. And uh, Lyft fell afoul of taxi cab laws because right. the company... The, ca- the cab lobby. Yeah, uh, you know, understandably to yeah, some trying degree. to protect their, their business. And said, well, th- they should abide by the same laws we do because they're basically mm-hmm. a taxi company, seemingly, and we're going to say they're not following these laws. So they got slapped with a $20,000 fine. Which, if you're a startup, for a small company, yeah, a lot. Is, is for me that would be probably the end. Mm-hmm. Ten thousand would do it. Two thousand, five, two dollars, that would all be problem. Mm-hmm. Fine wise, but we reported last week. I thought 
I was reporting, not last week, sorry, two weeks ago, mm-hmm. that lo and behold, uh, regulators and government bodies were coming on board. And then Paul pointed out I was talking about a completely different car lift slash service agency, and I was on some sort of hallucinogenic drug. <laughs> and so we moved on from that in shame. Michael was wrong, as is so often the case. And now I get to come back and say I was just not wrong. I was prophetic. That is the very key difference. Because uh, regulars, they, they, change, they change their minds on that, right? They did, yeah. They, they, the company was saying we're not a charter party carrier. No, in other words, a taxi service. We're a peer-to-peer carrier. People agreeing with other people yeah. who are not necessarily full-time employees or... That's right, and so the 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 uh, I don't know if it was the judge or what it was that made the decision. They, but anyway, they got relieved of the twenty thousand dollar fine. My understanding is the city, which I believe in this case is San Francisco, said that hey, you're right, which is a, actually a refreshing perspective. Far too often you hear about regulators just going, eh, this is the law, you're in trouble, right. you're done. But they took a step back and said, you know, your argument is correct, you're not really a taxi cab service. We're going to hold off on the fine until we can come up with more reasonable, not even reasonable, we can come up with new regulations to address this new kind of business. Right. So there's going to be some new rules. There's going to be more stringent safety requirements. There's going to be a... No serial a killers for just for a start. <laughs> Proof of insurance. Have to have brakes. Yeah. A steering wheel. Wind, windshield. And also national criminal background checks. See, I told you, no serial yep. killers, no, no axe murderers, no chainsaw. No wing nuts. No, 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 no people from Alaska. Michael and Paul cannot do this. Ah, man, my new career I has know, just I been know. ended. Yes. <clears throat> okay. Well, I was going to move on. We just... App of the week, tip of the week, which we haven't done in a while. Mm-hmm. And time. A, a question that I've received several times this week, and that's why it came to mind, is I just fired up my Mac, and it is giving me, all it's giving me is this blinking icon. It's either a circle with a line through it. You know, the old, so, no, yeah, no oh. smoking, denied, access denied, or it's a question mark. Is all, all it does. Your Mac got philosoph- philosophical. Huh? And, uh, and that's actually exactly what it's saying. <laughs> if it gives you the access denied symbol, what your Mac is saying as far as it thinks, it's not finding a system that it's allowed to use. It's saying that whatever you gave it as a startup system, sorry, bud, this ain't going to cut the mustard. It's like if you, let's say you installed Windows 8 on your Mac and it checked it. I was like, ah, I'm not supposed to start from this. Mm-hmm. Although, by the way, your, your Mac can run Windows, but it just takes some setup. So mm-hmm. that's the little circle with a slash. A question mark means, huh, quite what, literally. What's wrong with you? It, it can't find, it either can't find a system to start up from. Oh, it's not personal? It, well, it, you know, it might be personal. We're not sure what your computer thinks at any given moment. <laughs> it all depends on your relationship with your technology. As I always say, it's a living, growing relationship, Paul. And you have to make sure that you're treating your Mac nicely or it won't treat you very nicely at all. In this case, the question mark means it either can't find a hard drive or a system. And your hard drive houses the systems, hence the question mark in both cases. Basically, it's saying, I can't start up. I can't find anything to start up with. I don't know what to do. Exactly. I'm so sorry. It is. It really, really is. And so what does that mean? It can mean an okay thing or it can mean a terrible thing. The okay thing is that your system has gone a little sideways. Uh, The operating system on the computer, files on it aren't where they should be. Something got 
written to by you or the computer in the wrong way, whatever the reason, uh, hackers from China, who knows, things aren't quite where they should, and so the computer can't start up entirely because it looked for something that wasn't there. But overall, the hard drive is still working fine, all the files are fine, so all it takes is a reinstall of the system. And Apple's made it really easy to reinstall your system with a, a install disk if you have to, or hopefully you've got all your stuff backed right. up. But well, here's the cool thing: to if you reinstall your system, then nothing actually gets lost. Hmm. Not your settings, not your files, not your applications. Really, nothing. Really, you can reinstall your system on a Mac and keep everything there. It just reinstalls the underpinnings. Everything around it. Yep. All the underpinnings that actually make it work. What's more, on newer Macs, you don't even need to go digging in your drawer for a CD or for a startup drive or whatever it is you wanted. That's a good thing. Yep. You just hold down the R key, the option key and the R key on your keyboard when the computer's starting up, Mm -hmm. and it starts up in recovery mode. Hmm. A good name. And from recovery mode, it can go ahead and reinstall the system for you. Hmm. And that would be your first shot if you're getting that question mark or if you're getting a little line. Start it, Try to start up in recovery mode and see what it says. So the option key. Yep. I've always been puzzled about the, the Apple symbol key and mm-hmm. the option key. And then you've got the control key. Why, why the puzzlement? I don't know. It just seems like why isn't there just one? They, they have three different, complete different functions. Well... They are there yeah, because I use the Apple key for shortcuts, sure. obviously. But here's, here's a great example. Let's say that you want to delete something. Mm-hmm. And for that, you will hit Command-Delete, and it goes into the trash mm. on, on the Mac. But let's say you would like to empty the trash, right? Command-Delete would be what you would expect it to be, but uh, that's already in use. Mm-hmm. And in fact, you only have so many keys in your keyboard, so you have a limited set of commands that are available to you if you only have one key. And I can't really, like 40, you know, 40 some, I don't even know. How many keys are there on a keyboard? 96, I think. Um, so you have a limited set of commands, and you can't have any commands that overlap. Mm-hmm. So they introduced other keys to pr- give you different commands. In this case, say if you hold on the command and the option key, so the, when you say command, you're, you're using the Apple symbol? Yep. And okay. in fact, on newer Macs, the Apple symbol uh, is out, or actually the little cloverleaf symbol is out, and oh. it just they just actually says command oh. on the keyboard. Oh. In fact, you'll notice on your iPad keyboard, that's exactly sure what does. it does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So command option delete empties the trash on mm. your Mac, and so on and so forth. Different keys do different mm. things. It's like the piano. You know, why, why are the black keys there? I don't know. They always sound funny. Well, if you know what you're doing, they're really useful. They introduce a whole different spectrum of sound. On your computer, all those three keys, in conjunction with shift, give you a great deal of power that you would otherwise. In fact, a good thing to do, if you know that command something, or in the Windows, the window key in some letter does something, mm-hmm. try holding down the option key or the shift key in conjunction with those and see what happens. Uh, often very different things. That sounds ri- really risky. You've got to live on the edge. That's why you have backups, Paul. So speaking of backups, speaking of backups, if you restart in recovery oh. mode, that may or may not do the trick because your system might be sideways, but that may not be all that's going on. Your system might have gone bad or your Mac might not be able to start up because your hard drive's gone bad. 
altogether. And hard drives really love to go bad. The one thing that they do better than store data is d- destroy data. <laughs> your hard drive is basically installed in your computer to fail. And it doesn't take much. No, it takes a little bit nothing. of damage. It's a, it is a, plat, a metal platter that magnetically has ones and zeros mm-hmm. aligned on it that has a head similar to what you see on a old style record platter, mm-hmm. platter that floats on a I don't even know what remember what the term is. It's a micromillimeter. It's a microscopic distance mm-hmm. floating via magnetism above this platter. That so is, if anything compromises the, that distance, the yeah. reader crashes into the if the, the metal thing desk. shakes, if something went wrong, if there's some malfunction in the device, that head touches the platter and makes the smallest of scratches. It's game over. Goodbye, town. You're you're done. Your now, you goose can, is cooked. You can pull the disc out though and recover the data, can't you? Perhaps. So depending on the severity of the crash, that's why it's called a crash, uh, depending on what really went wrong, because sometimes it's not the head scratching the disc. That's really bad. Sometimes it's the little arm not being able to move properly or mm-hmm. the little motor that moves the arm going bad, whatever the case mm-hmm. is. Uh, all of those symptoms would cause your Mac to give you that symbol say, eh, I can't read this. It's not working for me. You can pull the drive out hook it up to another computer, and you can use recovery tools to try and read the disk despite the errors. Mm-hmm. Despite, say, the arm not behaving properly, some software will say, well, keep trying, or move on to another section of the disk, mm-hmm. whatever, whatever the case is. I was in Switzerland a couple of years ago, and I, um, it was late at night. I was jet-lagged very badly, and I was doing some, I was a graduate student at the time working on some important paper and the laptop slipped out of my lap and onto the floor and was um, in you know, that unconsolable. <laughs> but I gave it to somebody uh, who was a tech specialist and he was able to get the information off it. And that's a good case scenario. Yeah. There's a variety of things that we can do and we'll hit that sometime. But I will say right now, because we're running out of time, that the number one way to cure that problem is to have a backup. Mm-hmm. And let me just say this. Mm-hmm. If you have a computer, this will happen to you. Mm-hmm. It's not an if. It's not a but. It's when. an absolute guarantee. Have your backups because then you can be assured when that happens, it's not a big deal. You buy a new hard drive, you slap it in, mm-hmm. restore from your backups, and Bob's your uncle. Yeah. It's been great to be here. We pre-record the show, so no callers this time. Next week, we're going to have live callers. The 25th of February, we are going to have a guest, Sally Hope, from the Matsuburo School District. is going to be talking about assistive devices. And or depending on when this runs, it may have happened. Well, that's also true. Hmm. You just never know. Regardless, asked. we're very much looking forward to it. And we hope that in the meantime, you send us your questions at help at outofajam.net or facebook.com slash outofajam. And we will talk with you next week. See you later. Bye. The Grid, a digital frontier. I tried to picture clusters of information as they moved through the computer. What did they look like? Ships, motorcycles. Were the circuits like freeways? 